0: A spectator subscription is now better value than ever before. As a new subscriber joining today, you'll pay just one pound a week for unlimited online and app access in your first year. To subscribe today, go to spectator.co.uk forward slash unlimited. Welcome to Holy Smoke, the Spectator's religion podcast. I'm Damien Thompson. This is another episode about scandals at the top of the Catholic Church, and I can hear some of you saying, not again. Well, if you're not interested, press the stop button now. But if you really aren't interested, then I don't want to hear you pontificating about sex abuse in the Church, because you're turning a blind eye to the most disturbing scandal involving the reigning pope in living memory, and way beyond living memory, come to that. We need to talk yet again about the convicted Argentinian sex abuser, Bishop Gustavo Zanchetta and his former close friend, confessor and mentor, the former Cardinal Jorge Mario Bergoglio of Buenos Aires, now of course Pope Francis. Extraordinary new details have come to light. And we need to get the admittedly complicated timeline of key events straight in our minds because patchy reporting by the mainstream media doesn't reveal how persistently Francis was allegedly warned about various aspects of his protégé's behaviour. In March this year, the 57 year old Zanchetta, a former ally of Francis in the Argentinian Bishops' Conference, who was Bishop of Oran in northwest Argentina from 2013 to 2017, was sentenced to four and a half years in jail by a court in Oran for aggravated sexual assault of two seminarians in that diocese. You'd think that the Vatican would be only too anxious to wash its hands of Zanchetta and maybe to lay aside him. Instead, it appears to be going after the clergy who blew the whistle on the bishop. To quote the veteran Vatican correspondent Christopher Altieri, writing in Catholic World Report last month, Pope Francis has sent the canon lawyer who represented his friend and former colleague Gustavo Zancetta, now a convicted sex offender, serving time in prison, to investigate some of the very clerics who denounced the erstwhile bishops of the Vatican and testified against him in the secular criminal trial, end quote. Now, this raises two questions. First, why has the Pope authorised an investigation by ecclesiastical lawyers into Zanqueta's accusers? Only Francis has the authority to launch such an inquiry. Second, why is that supposedly impartial investigation being led by Father Javier Belda Iniesta, remember that name, who defended Zanchetta in the canonical investigation that Rome very belatedly opened to determine whether Zanchetta had broken church law. The details and even the outcome of that first canonical investigation remained secret. When the Argentinian court trying Zanchetta asked to see the relevant Vatican documents, the Vatican refused. Altieri's report appeared on July 26th this year, right in the middle of the Pope's visit to Canada to apologise for the historic and horrific abuse of indigenous children, crimes in which he personally wasn't remotely implicated. Francis was accompanied on that trip by trusted members of the Vatican press corps, who were apparently too moved by the spectacle of the 85-year-old pontiff donning a feather headdress to pay any attention to his bizarre decision to pursue Sanchez's accusers. And they apparently didn't even notice that one of the two former seminarians abused by Zanchetta, a young man identified only as MC, was so horrified by this new investigation that he gave a furious videotaped interview to the Argentinian regional newspaper El Tribunal, alleging that Pope Francis was continuing to look after the interests of his convicted friend. Here's a tiny extract. Tienes miedo que quede libre? Sí, tengo miedo que quede libre, no solamente por mí, sino por, por, podríamos decir, por su próxima próxima víctima. No solamente cuidarme a mí y a los chicos que estuvieron, sino el daño que pueda generar en otra persona. El malestar que pueda generar en otra persona. That interview, which you can find on El Tribunal's YouTube channel, was published on the 14th of July, but so far as I can ascertain, it wasn't translated into English until August the 1st. In it, the ex-Selinarian expresses disgust that Bishop Sanchester is being allowed to serve his sentence not in a prison, but in a monastery in Iran built for retired priests, because jail would apparently be bad for his blood pressure. Now, a month later, the other seminarian whose abuse by Zanchetta led to his conviction has also come forward. Last Thursday, he told the Catholic news agency ACI Prensa that since he left the seminary, quotes, the church hasn't taken care of us or our situation. Nothing, absolutely nothing. But it's his former classmate MC who goes into the more damning detail in that video interview. He told Sylvia Noviatsky of El Tribunal that he can hardly sleep because he's so distressed by the decision to place his abuser under house arrest, quotes, in a religious house which is frequented by children and old people who are vulnerable. He's presumably referring to the fact that the monastery is a home for retired priests who are visited by their families there. MC is angry that the hasn't been defrocked and retains the title of bishop. Noviatsky asked him why that is, and he claimed because there are a lot of favours doled out and cronyism, and it all comes from Pope Francis, who currently says some things in his sermons and does different ones. MC portrays Belda Iniesta's investigation as a witch hunt. He told Nowitzki, Belda Iniesta is asking about money matters, they're asking people to produce bills which were lost by priests who were there after Zanketa, They're insinuating that the priests who gave evidence have illegitimate children as a way to prosecute them and accuse them canonically. This investigation aims to focus everything on that and to brush aside what a good life Sanchetta is enjoying. They're looking for someone else to blame and whitewash Sanchetta. What M.C. didn't say, because he presumably didn't know about it, is that last year, Father Javier Belda Iniesta was himself caught up in a humiliating scandal. Indeed, even those few journalists in the English-speaking world who followed the Nathan Chetar affair closely were unaware of it until last week. In May 2021... Several Spanish news outlets reported that Bordeñesta had just been dismissed from his position as Dean of the Faculty of Human and Religious Studies at the Catholic University of Murcia in Spain, following allegations that he couldn't provide evidence of some of the qualifications he allegedly claimed to possess on his CV. It hasn't been proved one way or another, so far as I know, whether he'd exaggerated his CV, but he never returned to his post which raises the question, why did Pope Francis put him in charge of investigating Zanchetta's accusers? The Iran canonical proceedings began after Belda-Iniesta left the university, and the Vatican should have been aware that these allegations had been made. Belda-Iniesta has defended his role in the investigation. He said there's nothing strange about it, it has nothing to do with Zanchetta, and that, quote, I perform tasks as a defender in some cases, and in others I perform the role of investigator, notary or even judge. He also described the investigation as only a preliminary inquiry to determine whether certain facts are possessed of very similitude. But to quote Ed Condon, editor of the leading Catholic news website The Pillar and himself a canon lawyer, quote, while there is no legal prohibition against a defence advocate being appointed to serve as a prosecutorial investigator in a later case, canon law requires that all those involved in the legal process have unimpaired reputations. The case of Gustavo Zanchetta presents us with a string of baffling decisions by Francis, starting with his decision on becoming Supreme Pontiff to make his friend a bishop. As soon as the impending appointment was announced in 2013, a change.org petition appeared asking the new Pope not to promote Zanchetta. It was started by Dr Santiago Spadafora, who'd been an advisor to the Argentinian diocese of Quilmes, where father Zanchetta had been responsible for economic affairs and administering schools. Spadafora asked Francis why he was planning to give Zanchetta a mitre, knowing that so many people from the diocese of Quilmes have suffered his abuse of power. Spadafora, who we should note was locked in a bitter legal dispute with Zanchetta, Told journalists that he'd sent documents to Cardinal Bergoglio back in 2011 relating to Zancetta's unfortunate decisions in regard to school finances. And in his Change.org petition, reportedly signed by 100 teachers and lay employees of schools administered by Zancetta, he also claimed that Bergoglio rang him on his mobile phone promising to look into the matter. The petition obviously got nowhere. Zancheta was made Bishop of Arana, a small city, a thousand miles away from Buenos Aires, in the foothills of the Andes. Hardly an important see, but when you're made Bishop of your own diocese at the age of only 49, you can be pretty certain of rising up the Episcopal ladder. But, once Bishop Zancheta was enthroned, things spun out of control very quickly. The following allegations come from an investigation published in 2019 by the Associated Press News Agency. In 2015, Father Juan Jose Manzano, who was Vanchetta's vicar general, the senior official of the Diocese of Iran, together with other diocesan clergy, sent the Vatican an explosive dossier. Manzano told the Associated Press in an email In 2015, we sent selfie photos of the bishop in obscene or out of place behaviour that seemed inappropriate and dangerous. If Francis examined them, and we can only assume that he became the first pope in history to look at pornographic photos. The pope summoned Zanchetta, who justified himself by saying that his cell phone had been hacked and that there were people who were out to damage the image of the pope. The pope subsequently said that Zanchetta had defended himself well during that meeting, and he was sent back to Iran. According to Father Manzano, Zanchetta's behaviour then seemed to have improved, but as the months passed, the bishop became more aggressive and took impulsive decisions, manipulating facts, people, influences, to reach his goals. Manzano said that started coming to the seminary at all hours, drinking with the seminarians and bringing a seminarian with him whenever he visited a parish, sometimes without asking permission of the seminary rector. Manzano continued in an email to AP, The rector tried to keep the students in order, being present when the bishop appeared, but the bishop looked for ways to avoid his attention and to discredit him in front of the young guys. The bad feeling was aggravated with some of them left for the seminary. It was then that the rector investigated and warned of harassment and inappropriate behaviour. So now there was a second complaint to Rome in 2017. Father Manzano and the rector of the seminary made it in person at the nunciature the Vatican Embassy, in Buenos Aires. Manzano said he described Zanchetta's alleged abuse of power within the clergy, and at this stage we should know that any abuse that occurred since 2015 could not have happened if Pope Francis hadn't returned Zanchetta to his diocese. Now the bishop was summoned to see Francis again, and of course by this stage he had no alternative to resign which he did in July 2017. But he didn't resign in disgrace. Aged only 54 at the time, Sanchez cited unspecified health reasons, and Francis went on to make one of the most bizarre and indefensible decisions of his pontificate. Bear in mind that for years, in addition to claims of abusive behaviour, Sanchez had been accused of financial mismanagement. In November 2019, two years after his resignation as diocesan bishop, the Economic Crime Unit of the city of Iran raided the diocesan headquarters, looking for evidence of alleged fraud against the state from 2013 to 2017, Sanchez's years in office, although no charges were ever brought. According to Inés San Martin, the Rome bureau chief for Crux News Service, and herself Argentinian, quotes... Public records showed that Zanchetta received over one million pesos, close to a quarter of a million dollars at the time, from the provincial government for the restoration of a parish rectory and for a series of lectures in the local seminary that never took place. She added, Zanchetta has also been accused of mismanaging church funds donated by the faithful and of keeping the sale of a church-owned property off the books. The funds raised through the sale remain unaccounted for." Sánchez has, however, never been convicted of any financial wrongdoing. But it's beyond dispute that he was accused of financial mismanagement in both Filmes and Oran. And in the case of Iran, those accusations were almost certainly known to the Vatican by the summer of 2017, when they were reported to the Nuncheta in Buenos Aires. It's unclear how much the Pope knew of these allegations, although he had apparently been notified of financial mismanagement in 2011. But what's certain is that in 2018 he created a new job inside the Vatican for Zanchetta as Assessor at the Administration of the Patrimony of the Holy See, ABSA, which manages the Vatican's property, financial and liquid assets. But by January 2019, the Vatican suspended Bishop Zanchetta and instigated an investigation as allegations around his conduct intensified. Five months later, Argentinian prosecutors charged Bishop Sanchetta with sexually abusing two seminarians. And in November, there was the raid on his former offices by the local fraud squad. Then, in early 2020, after legal proceedings ground to a halt in Argentina because of the pandemic, Sanchetta returned to work assessing Vatican finances. Even in the cynical curia, jaws dropped open when a man accused of such serious crimes swarmed back into his office. It's true that by this stage the Vatican had begun that canonical trial of Sanchetta, but we still don't know the outcome, or even if there is an outcome, it may still be ongoing. But, as I mentioned earlier, we do know that the Vatican wants the proceedings to be kept secret. According to the Pillar, Zanchetta's attorneys subpoenaed the Vatican's files on the bishop's canonical trial. The files never arrived in Iran despite repeated requests from lawyers and the judge decided to proceed without them. At every step, it seems, going back more than a decade, Pope Francis seems to have protected a predatory abuser whom, according to Father Manzano, former vicar general of Iran, he regards as his spiritual son. It's troubling behaviour by the Pope, but is it unprecedented? The truth is that Francis's protection of Zanchetta appears even more worrying when you put it in the wider context of accusations about his handling of other abuse cases. For example, in 2009, Father Julio Grassi, a priest who ran homes for street children, was sentenced to 15 years in prison for sexually abusing a boy. After the conviction, the then-president of the Argentine Bishops' Conference, Cardinal Bergoglio, is alleged to have commissioned a counter-report of over a thousand pages which claimed that all Grassi's accusers were liars. The move was intended to keep Grassi out of jail. It failed when the priest's appeals were dismissed. In the 2017 documentary Code of Silence, which is on YouTube, one of the judges in the case, Carlos Mahiques, a former justice minister in Argentina, says the report read like a biased detective novel and was an attempt to exert pressure on the judiciary. Impressively, the filmmakers managed to confront Pope Francis in St Peter's Square. In the footage, the Pope denies trying to influence the judges in the Grassi case. So why did you commission a council inquiry, he's asked. He replies, I never did. Which is odd, given that the author of the report, Marcello Sancinetta is on record as boasting that it was commissioned by Cardinal Jorge Mario Begoglio, today His Holiness Pope Francis. And then there's the case of Juan Barros, whom Francis made Bishop of Osorno in Chile in 2015, despite appeals from Chilean bishops pointing out that Barros was closely linked to the notorious child abuser Father Fernando Caradima. In one of his in-flight interviews in 2018, Francis insisted that he hadn't seen any evidence of wrongdoing by Barros. It was all calumny. No one had come forward. And then it emerged that shortly after Barros took up his new position, Cardinal Sean O'Malley, head of the Pope's Commission for the Protection of Minors, claimed he'd handed Francis an eight-page letter from Juan Carlos Cruz, one of the bishop's numerous accusers. In the letter, Cruz told Francis that Barros saw Caradima sexually assaulting him and did nothing to stop him. Cruz's account may or may not be accurate, but as a 2018 AEP report noted, it was literally placed in the Pope's hands by the Cardinal advising him on sex abuse. If that's true, then when Francis declared that no one had come forward, he'd either unforgivably failed to read the letter or wasn't telling the truth. Cruz's claims were so graphically sexual that he can't possibly have forgotten reading them. And looking at North America, let's not forget ex-Cardinal McCarrick, who'd been banished from public life by Benedict XVI, but who, as I've discussed in detail on this podcast before, appears to have been rehabilitated by Pope Francis. Eventually, the Pope was forced to defenestrate the old monster when the secular media discovered that he was a serial molester of seminarians, an open secret in the Vatican. McCarrick also wielded tremendous influence over the foreign policy and Episcopal appointments of the early years of the Bergoglio pontificate, something that the Vatican's McCarrick report of 2020 didn't mention. How can anyone not see a pattern here? One that makes a mockery of Francis flying across the Atlantic to apologise for crimes in which he was never implicated. And the answer is, actually, you can quite easily miss the pattern if... The world's media, encouraged by their Vatican correspondents, consistently try to stop the buck before it reaches Francis' office for fear of providing ammunition for the Conservatives most of them despise as much as the Pope does. But it's an increasingly risky strategy. One way or another, before too long the Catholic Church will have another Pope and then the full extent of Jorge Maria Vigoglia's culpability will be impossible to conceal.